This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, your bi-weekly source of news, views, and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. As always, I'm James Bannister. And I'm Emma Phillips. Last episode, we discussed advancing to injectable-based therapy, including when and how to add insulin to a daily regimen. One thing that guidelines are recommended for all patients receiving insulin is self-monitoring of blood glucose, or SMBG. Today, we'll be exploring up-to-date recommendations surrounding SMBG, as well as the role of various technologies in assisting patients in tracking their glucose levels. We will then join Professor Richard Holt for a discussion of how to help patients initiate and adhere to SMBG. If you're already familiar with monitoring technologies and the ambulatory glucose profile software, please do skip ahead to the expert interview. And remember, all references we discuss in the session are available in the episode description. SMBG testing is recommended for all patients receiving insulin to titrate an additional dose, monitor treatment efficacy, and avoid hypoglycemia. EASD and ADA guidelines note that regular SMBG testing may help with self-management and medication adjustment. However, SMBG plans should be individualized. For those receiving basal insulin without additional prandial injections, it is enough to assess fasting glucose to inform dose adjustments and measure treatment success. Those receiving intensive insulin therapy, that is, premixed insulin or basal insulin with at least one prandial injection, should assess glucose levels throughout a day. According to the ADA standards of care, this should be done prior to meals and snacks, at bedtime, occasionally postprandially, and before exercise, leading to 6 to 10 tests a day. The conventional schedule for SMEG is 7 tests a day, a test before and after each meal with a 7th test before bed. Typically, SMBG uses finger prick tests to measure the current concentration of glucose in the blood. A lancing device is used to produce a small drop of blood, which is then placed on a strip and measured using a specialist device. In addition to these devices, two forms of continuous glucose monitors have been developed, real-time or RT-CGMs and intermittent CGMs, also known as flash monitors. These monitors use transdermal sensors to measure the concentration of glucose in the interstitial fluid, which over time provides an indirect concentration of blood glucose. RT-CGMs provide constant readings to their partner device and allow for alerts when hyperglycemia is imminent. Flash monitors continuously record glucose levels with sensors that last longer than RT-CGMs, but they'll only provide readings on demand. Both devices have demonstrated efficacy in improving glycemic control in people with type 1 diabetes. However, as EASD ADA guidelines note, they've been associated with only modest benefits in people with type 2 diabetes. Alongside these newer monitoring devices, advances in software to analyse health data have led to two new important metrics for all patients monitoring blood glucose, time in range, or TIR, and glycemic variability. These were described in the International Consensus on Use of Continuous Glucose Monitoring, published by Dana and colleagues in 2017. The consensus report describes time and range as the time spent in an individual's target glucose range, typically 3.9 to 10 millimoles per litre. Glycemic variability is then calculated as a coefficient of variation, or CV, to describe the frequency and magnitude of excursions from this target range. Typically, a stable glucose level will have a CV of below 36%, with values above 36% indicating unstable glucose control. 
Both time in range and glycemic variability are described in the consensus report as useful metrics to overcome the limitations of HbA1c, which can't detect hyper or hypoglycemia on a daily basis. Finally, the consensus report recommends the Ambulatory Glucose Profile, or AGP, to collect and manage glucose monitor data. The AGP is a standardized report used across a number of apps and devices, which visualizes average glucose ranges over time. The report also provides measurements of time and range, glycemic variability, and estimated HbA1c to further assist in analyzing trends and identifying episodes of hyper or hypoglycemia. While the report was originally designed for CGM devices, an SMBG version is available that estimates time and range, average glucose, and glycemic variability based on the 7-point SMBG profile provided. The AGP has been endorsed by several expert panels and organizations, including the ATTD Consensus Group. So to summarize, some level of glucose monitoring is recommended for all people receiving insulin-based treatment. For the majority of people with type 2 diabetes, this will consist of daily finger prick SMBG tests. But while software like the AGP are available to keep track of readings, how can we further support people initiating self-monitoring? Joining us this week is Professor Richard Holt of the University of Southampton for his advice on helping patients make the most of SMBG testing. Thank you for joining us, Professor Holt. Let's begin with our first question. Guidelines recommend individualization of monitoring plans for patients receiving injectable-based therapy. But what does this actually mean? For example, should someone on basal insulin only be testing once a day? And for those at high risk of hyperglycemia, how often should they be testing? I think the principle of individualization is that with any testing, the testing has to help to support the management of that person's diabetes. Some people will need to test a lot more in order to get the best from their insulin regimen, and other people may be able to test uh, less. And I think it's important for the clinician to discuss both the value and some of the disadvantages of monitoring with individual patients in order to try to develop the most important strategy and the best strategy for that particular individual patient. So when we take somebody on basal insulin only, we may recommend just testing first thing in the morning. But I think it's probably more likely that people will have to test at other times or may well benefit from testing at other times of the day, um, particularly if they are at risk of hypoglycemia. Well, there may be a, a, routine, um, a routine plan of management for uh, self-monitoring. I think that uh, all people would recognise that there may be times when people need to test more frequently. And certainly we would recommend testing if somebody um, developed hypoglycemia in order to make that diagnosis and know how to then, then treat it. So certainly if we have somebody who is at higher risk of developing hypoglycemia, um, it would be important to recommend more frequent testing because that will also identify times when people may be uh, tending to be low, but not necessarily going into the hypoglycemic range um, to try to identify that before the problems actually develop. I think that the situation where people really need to test very frequently is where they have hypoglycemia unawareness, because one of the problems of that is that if people are unaware of their hypoglycemia, the risks are from that hypoglycemic episodes become much worse, and the risk of severe hypoglycemia where an individual needs external help uh, becomes much, much higher. 
I have to say that some of the new testing uh, modules, things like the continuous glucose monitoring uh, are, and flash glucose monitoring are particularly helpful for people who have um, high risk of hypoglycemia because of the facility either to set alarms or to watch for trends of, of blood glucose. Certainly. You started mentioning the different technologies that are now available. They've demonstrated particular use in type 1 diabetes, but there may be a bit of a struggle to get these reimbursed or used in type 2 diabetes. Do you have any comments on the particular types of patients who may benefit from using a CGM or flash glucose monitor, despite being a type 2 patient? So I, I think it's important to recognise that although we make the distinction between type 1 and type 2 diabetes, uh, in reality, what we see is people being on a spectrum of disease. And so there are some people who have type 2 diabetes who manage their diabetes in very similar ways to people with type 1 diabetes, using basal bolus regimens, using carbohydrate counting, and people who uh, are quite markedly insulin deficient. And in those situations, even though the diagnosis may be type 2 diabetes, there may still be great benefits of using the new technologies. Another area where um, continuous glucose monitoring may well have benefits for people with type 2 diabetes is during pregnancy. Although not specifically demonstrated for people with type 2 diabetes, the use of continuous monitoring in pregnancy has really uh, transformed the way that we are managing women with diabetes during pregnancy because of the improved, improved outcome. So I, I can see that there are certainly people um, who would who have type 2 diabetes who would still benefit from some of these new continuous glucose monitoring technologies. I think also when we start to um, look at the crystal ball and thinking to the future, part of the reasons why uh, the technologies are limited is really for financial uh, reasons. And I suspect that as the technologies continue to improve and the costs come down, that the indications for their use will broaden. And I suspect that with that, we will see more people with type 2 diabetes using continuous glucose monitoring into the future. Marvellous. Thank you. So while it sounds like there will be increased uptake of these in the future, there will still be a large proportion of patients who will still need to use standard SMBG testing. For these people, what practical advice do you offer when they start out with SMBG? In particular, do people struggle with carrying and using lancets or having to produce blood for these on-the-spot tests? I think even with the new technologies, we will still see that there is a need for um, capillary glucose monitoring. And the reason for that is that the um, continuous glucose monitoring tends to monitor, well, does monitor the interstitial glucose. And there is a lag between changes in glucose in the blood and changes in interstitial uh, um, tissue. And so where somebody's blood glucose is falling very rapidly and there's a risk of hypoglycemia ensuing and people start to develop symptoms of hypoglycemia, even if the continuous glucose monitor is indicating that the glucose is within the normal range, there will still be an indication for doing uh, capillary uh, glucose monitoring. So I think that the uh, the fact that we uh, that we will still continue to have this technology for uh, the foreseeable future. So what practical advice do I offer people with, when they're setting out um, to do uh, capillary glucose monitoring? 
I think that the most important thing is to show people exactly how to do the uh, to do the testing, and that requires education, largely from diabetes specialist nurses who need to take the time to demonstrate the technology. Because I think that once people become uh, familiar with the with how to do the blood testing, it becomes uh, less difficult to do so. Um, there obviously are practical issues around uh, taking their monitoring kit with them and taking the lancets uh, with them and the blood drawing. Um, but I think that those are not in, insurmountable. The, the, the actual kit to carry around is really not that uh, that, that large. And so people um, manage to carry it around either in a jacket or, 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 or in a bag. So I think from those perspectives, that that, that is not always necessarily a problem. Um, one area where I uh, advise people to uh, keep an extra meter is when they are driving, because clearly avoiding hypoglycemia while driving is particularly important. And if people start to develop symptoms of hypoglycemia while they're driving, it's important that they stop and uh, um, turn the car ignition off, get out of the driver's seat, test, and then treat treat themselves. And you can imagine that it, that people may sometimes forget to take their meters with them. But if they have a meter that's with them uh, in the car all the time, that they can then uh, have that facility for testing and be able to continue to drive uh, legally. I see. Thank you. So our final question. How do you discuss newer metrics such as time and range or coefficient of variation in patients using capillary glucose testing devices? And do you advocate the use of things such as the ambulatory glucose profile for people who are on capillary testing rather than just CGMs? Uh, to be honest, I think at the moment I'm not really using these concepts of time and range and coefficient of variation for people doing capillary glucose monitoring. Um, because I think that for many people, they're not testing most frequently enough in order to develop the ambulatory glucose uh, profile that you see from the continuous glucose monitoring. So these aren't really um, concepts that I use for people using um, self-monitoring of uh, capillary uh, glucose. But nevertheless, I think that some of the uh, principles that underlie the time and range and coefficient of variation are still appropriate for people with uh, capillary glucose monitoring. So, for example, we're still trying to aim to get those blood glucose levels into uh, the normal range as much as possible. And when we think about coefficient of variation, really what we're trying to avoid is marked swings of blood glucose where we see lots of high and lots of low blood glucose levels. So, again, these are things that we, we address and we talk during our, uh, during our consultations, but without necessarily using specific terms such as time and range and coefficient of variation, because those are very difficult to calculate based on the uh, capillary glucose monitoring. Excellent. And that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for everything. This brings us to the end of this episode. To summarise, glucose monitoring is an essential part of all insulin-based treatment methods. The growing availability of continuous glucose monitors, including both real-time and flash devices, is driving uptake of newer metrics such as time in range and glycemic variability. However, until these devices become available to all people with type 2 diabetes, it's still important to discuss implementing regular finger prick tests throughout a person's day. As we discussed earlier, all references and guidelines discussed in today's episode are available in the episode description. 
We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, join the discussion with the hashtag DKIPpodcast. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to this podcast on your favorite app or recommend us to your colleagues. You can also access all of our free accredited CME content at knowledgeandpractice.eu. Thank you for listening. We look forward to joining you next time where we'll be exploring methods to reduce the risk of hypoglycemia among people receiving insulin. 